0: everybody welcome to the recovery entrepreneur show today i have somebody i'm so excited to meet mr terry rich is joining us and he has expertise in a lot of different avenues so welcome to the show terry
1: uh thank you very much proud to be here
0: i'm excited so you have a pretty extensive background in a couple different things and in in, i guess i want to dig into the more serious topic First share a little about like who you are, where have you been and some of your roles, and then we can get a little serious.
1: Well, I'm an old farm kid. Grew up on a farm in a little town in Iowa. Went to school at Iowa State. Started in cable television. Before cable television was cool. got to work with the Ted Turners of the world and start MTVs and all of those. Be part of all that. Really fun, entrepreneurial for 20 years. But then as things happen... uh, an investment organization took a run at our company and we did uh, leverage buyout so we wouldn't have a hostile takeover and ultimately sold the company. So at age 40, what well, my dad said, wait till you're 62, you'll get social security and you'll be successful. Uh, I was out on, the, out on the street with a nice payout, uh, but trying to figure out what to do. So I started my own company for 10 years and started three or four different entrepreneurial companies in that, which was really fun. But at age 50, I was just tired. I wanted to get off the road. I had all the money I hoped for and success, all that sort of stuff. And so I got a call from a governor who said, hey, uh, they're going to close the zoo. Would you be interested in helping turn that around and run the zoo? Hmm. Well, I I grew cattle. I don't know. Giraffes can't be that much different. So I ran a zoo and we turned it around and, and raised, made it cash flow well and raised about 15 million in endowment so it's going to be around forever and at that point uh, that's about a 3.5 million dollar operation the lottery directorship came open in our state and the governor and i talked and said hey i'd love to run it and that's marketing it's promotion what i enjoy and boom i became a lottery director for 10 years uh, of about a 350 million dollar enterprise so that was really really fun and ultimately retired in 2018 and i'm on the road doing public speeches on entrepreneurship, innovation, and uh, fraud and ethics. So that's my history.
0: Wow. You summed it up perfectly. And two of the big points, I love that you had all of these different roles, right? So there was similarities with the marketing and being the leadership um, that that went across the different areas, it seemed. So
1: can you speak- It sure did. It, and one of the things, you know, you always have breaks in life. You have luck. Uh, my biggest luck came uh, when I actually had failed. My little town, hometown wanted to be, uh, have a centennial, and they didn't know whether they were 100 years, but they wanted to have a party anyway. And 50 people's all that was in the town, so they called me and said, would you help with promotion? So I sent out a press release to 44 uh, media outlets, and only one responded. It was a guy from UPI. Ultimately, I got to be on the Johnny Carson show that little press release got me on the Johnny Carson show. And that really shot my career for a lot of reasons with ideas and innovation.
0: Oh, I love that. So the, one of the big themes is marketing and promotion, no matter what business you're in, it sounds like.
1: Sure is. It sure is. And uh, I love marketing and promotion, but I really learned to appreciate those that are, are uh, in the accounting department and legal department and keeping you in check just a little bit to give you good advice to keep you out of trouble.
0: That's a great segue into the other topic we're going to talk about. Um, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you face this, but so I come from corporate America originally, you know, and, and the tax department was the tax department and the legal department was the legal. They didn't live on the same floor. And being an entrepreneur, I've learned the hard way that most of them won't answer about the other topic. If you're lucky enough to find um someone who will that you know it's it's a challenging perspective i guess um but they're so important to know and i think you brought it up to lead us into fraud and that kind of stuff
1: well in the time that i was at the lottery uh you just sometimes you get a sixth sense that something doesn't feel right we had somebody try to claim a jackpot that would not say who they were or what they did and we have a law in iowa that you can't be a vendor of the Uh, lottery uh, if you are going to play and ended up this guy was worked for a vendor organization who drew the numbers and he wrote the code for the computer that drew the numbers and lo and behold he had claimed jackpots for the past uh, 10 years at that point and we ultimately stopped him busted it and got him in prison for uh, many years and and he confessed which is a big deal usually you don't get when there's fraud within the organization What I learned in all that though was that the American Certified Fraud Examiners say there are three, there's kind of a triangle. There are three things. If you're if you have a small business, if you're working in a church, working with a church organization, a school, or your company, there are three things that will cause internal fraud. First is financial need. Now, you and I all we always will want more money, but it's more like when somebody has a problem with addiction, whether it's gambling, whether it's a liquor. Uh, divorce is a big one. All of a sudden you're caught, your back's against the wall, or maybe your kid can't afford to go to college. And you're saying, well, uh, if I just had some, and I look at all this money over here in the lottery, there was a lot of money or in a church, there's a lot of money in that that's cash. Nobody's going to miss if they do that. So financial need is when something major happens within your own life. Second is opportunity. If you're in an organization where someone writes the purchase orders and the checks, you're pretty ripe for fraud. So you want to have checks and balances. So two people approve and disperse and count money together. The final is the hardest one. So you might have the financial need and you might have the opportunity if you're a real small organization or business. But what about the rationale? At what point do you rationalize? You know, I deserve this. I'm working hard. You know, over here, uh, Joe's making more money than I am or Susie's Susie's getting by with this. And you get by with it once, maybe try it and it works. Then you get bigger and bigger. Ultimately, you get caught. So that's the triangle, financial need, um, opportunity, where you have all the keys of the kingdom and uh, rationale. And in my case, the financial fraud that this vendor did, uh, he had all three.
0: How did you, you, you mentioned the sixth sense, but how did you like get onto it just because he wouldn't share his identity?
1: Well, it, it, it is you know usually in these and the most people say how do you find internal fraud? I always thought when the external auditor came in or from the state, the state auditor came in, they checked us. I was clean, it, everything was great. But forty percent of all fraud is found by other employees, vendors, or anonymous tips that people saying, "Hey, did you see this?" So it was a true team that helped bust ours only. is actually found by the outside auditor. So it's always important in any organization to have people and have an open um, culture where somebody can say, hey, this doesn't feel right. Not that they wanted to get somebody fired, but you you might want to check this at some point. We found it because they came in, they wouldn't say who, well, it took forever to claim it. They have a year to claim it. They claimed the prize an hour and a half before that was to expire, $16.5 million. Now, I don't care how well... Are that's a lot of money, you'd claim it right away, so that didn't feel right. Uh, when they first called in and said we have the right ticket, uh, they wanted us to send them the check, they didn't want to come in to claim the check. And when we asked them who did it, they wouldn't tell us, they lied to say who bought the ticket. And ultimately, we just kept pushing and pushing, turned it over to our Department of Criminal Investigation and Attorney General's office, and they did a phenomenal job. And ultimately, releasing the tape when you go in and buy a lottery ticket you're pretty much on camera and that tape also had audio in the store that this person bought it um they went after it and did anonymous tips and everybody said wait a minute we know who that is they gave us a name and lo and behold we got a full confession and conviction
0: wow that's impressive it it
1: was a team effort i guess is what i'm saying but back to the sixth sense is having a culture where if something doesn't feel right say something and That's kind of where I really appreciate because the first call in was to a frontline office person. And that person said, I'm going to send you the ticket. Just send me the money. She knew that didn't feel right. And she passed that on to the security department. Uh, And then again, the team began and after three or four years, we finally had it busted. And bottom line is to get the games fair and honest. So when people play and every time we were in the media and saying, we're going to do whatever it takes to figure this case out, when people were buying more tickets because of that, I'm going to, if I'm going to gamble, I'm going to do it with this organization because I see who they are. I can talk to them. It isn't like I'm online trying to do something in Malta where I have no idea who the heck's behind this and whether it's rigged or not.
0: That's interesting. The fact that lottery sales went up because of your image again, back to marketing. Um, I, I'm a student of Grant Cardone and he always says uh, money follows attention and you just demonstrated it perfect. So well, you know,
1: you know, this is a it's it's a tough one because it's the lottery director. When you're a lottery director, most people if, if it was my own business, I probably could have doubled, tripled uh, the amount of money spent on lottery and marketing. So, but but on the other hand, you've got to make sure that you're doing it in a professional way, not over-promising, not over-producing. If somebody's overplaying, you want to make sure they have an outlet somewhere to go get help, that's that's vitally important. And almost all lotteries have some sort of either, uh, mostly the, the, they've got a hotline and those sort of things to get people there. And as we saw people come in that we thought we were overplaying, we would hand them that telephone number. I, I, as a government, believe that lotteries are good to be run by states because there was so much corruption in the early days, number runnings on the East Coast by organized crime, that it wasn't an up and up always always game so I, I, I like that on the other hand I don't think the government should get in your business if you want to spend your money on something you should be able to spend it where you want to but I think it is our obligation that if we are over promising or saying my god you know you could win a billion and a half dollars so go empty your bank account absolutely not that's not the, what I thought the role should be as that leadership role
0: yeah I really appreciate that you identified well I have two questions. I don't want to lose track of them. So I'll go with the entrepreneurial one first. Okay. You said the checks and balances, you brought that up. And again, the community I live in, it's a lot of people that are just starting out. They're in their first couple of years and maybe they have zero employees. Maybe they have one, but not very often they're going to have a system. Um, Is there any recommendations, whether it's before you start hiring them or how to vet them or what? processes you can have in place to avoid that as a small business owner?
1: Well, uh, sure. Uh, first off, I think anytime uh, entrepreneurs, you you typically want to have a little bit of an advisory group. Now, you may pay them, most people don't, just friends that have certain skills, because if you're a good entrepreneur, you've got the idea, you're going to develop it, you may have that multi-million dollar idea, but you need resources around you for things that either you don't know much about, or for me, I really don't want to handle. I don't want to do the paperwork. I, I want to go out and sell something and do all of that. So I had a good accountant and that accountant gives the oversight and help me in looking at checks and that's the checks and balances and a good legal person to be able to say, you know, the better be careful here because you might step doesn't mean you have to hire him. You do them on a, when you really want that resource to help you out Ultimately, if you get big enough where you're hiring people, uh, then it's back to if someone writes the purchase orders, they should not sign the checks. You should sign the checks, as the so you can see the money uh, come coming in and out. Uh, but then creating an environment where they feel appreciated, that they don't feel like, well, geez, that entrepreneur has taken all the money, especially if it's the accountant and sees all the money you may be making, um, that you give them little perks of a day off here and there little things that make them feel appreciated that they don't want to lose that job that at that point you know most people you get rewarded for money and you want more money always Uh, but that money if you get a raise only lasts maybe two or three weeks to where you're you're thinking geez i wonder when the next raise is versus getting little perks like let's do lunch today and bring in lunch or those sort of things or little things that'll keep people around and keep that rationalization away from them saying that someone else is getting a lot more. And I, I have control of this. I don't think anybody will miss it. So I'm going to touch that.
0: Yeah, you're, you're right. There's a whole lot more to appreciation and keeping them motivated than just money. Um, And I think that's becoming more and more evident, especially lately. So today, your role is to go out and speak and educate about fraud and, and business. Like, what does that look like? Are you traveling? Well,
1: well, it's, it's back to th- be, think of an entrepreneur. I'm going to retire. What do you want to do in retirement? Well, one, you don't have a full-time job where you have to go somewhere and do something every single day. You want to be able to say, I'm going to take off the month of January. If you're in an area where it's cold, I'm going to, I'm going to go South, you know, and I don't want to be bothered by anybody. Um, and for me, I, I, I can consult, but if I go in and consult, then I usually have to write a report afterwards, do a lot of research. Well, I, I started doing professional speaking and seeing when I was the president of the North American Lottery Association, we were hiring speakers for 20 000 to $50,000 a speech. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, if I could get in this circuit somehow, that would be really, really cool. But you got to have an idea that people want to pay that kind of money for, right? Big conferences, that sort of thing. So I started small and I, you know, do, uh, you know, 50 bucks, hundred bucks. And then I get to a thousand and now I'm at five, ten thousand $10,000 a speech. Uh, it's the same speech. I do try to customize and work hard to find out when I'm at a conference that I can, if somebody has got a theme, I'll work that theme in or whatever. But when I'm done, I'm done. I don't have to write any reports. I, I travel there. Uh, they pay for my transportation. I get paid a fee to, uh, to be there and then I usually try to take three or four or five days or if I go overseas I'll take a week and just travel and look around and learn. It is the coolest retirement job in the world. Now it takes a while to build that up but like any entrepreneur that's kind of the theory of, of uh, how to do it. I have an agent. They handle all my bookings and all the setups. I give them the fee which is well worth it at this point because I'm retired. I don't need the money and I just, I really enjoy meeting people and doing things. And then I add with the, with the COVID, I add these, uh, podcasts, uh, just to keep my mind straight. And it's really a fun retirement gig when it's all said and done.
0: Oh, I love it. I didn't realize there was like agents. Like, is that what you would suggest to somebody starting out? Or you said, start with maybe the lower monetary to start just getting stages.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of depends. Uh, uh, I think that if you for for me I wanted somebody and some people usually don't like a 15 or 25% commission to agents to book them for speeches. I don't mind that. I I'm I'm fine with any kind of dollars because I enjoy doing it. Um but somebody who just came out of the government or just you know Tom Brady does he really need an agent? He could do it himself if he wants to have that organization. I mean he people will book him and there are certain people who will find niches or i do a lot of banks and lots of financial institutions uh, some people will find uh, a group that once you do one you get 25 speeches out of it because people in the audience all want to take it back to their group so they really don't need in, in their own way they don't need a, an agent but i just find just like when i do television talent once a well, while, i'll have an agent to call me for some reason or another and i uh I enjoy having the organization where they just tell me where I need to be and how I need to be there. And I've got it in a rock and roll. So it's very, the other thing that I got good advice on that, I think is having a book. I I've done two books. Now. Uh, you seem to get more speeches when people think you're a, a an author too. Who knew? I was so, going
0: to ask you if the book helps. So thank you for speaking to that. What and mode and you there need- are
1: so many ways to do books. The easiest way today you got somebody who's somewhat literate on with the internet to be able to do it on Amazon. Amazon has made it so everybody can do a book. You write it all up, but if you want to do a one that uh, I would classify as professional, you know, there's two or three ways. The old old fashioned way was you contact a literary agent and if they like your story, and they like what they've got, they might do it. They're going to take a whole bunch so to get into an airport, you might make 1 or 2 dollars a book where they're making 20 or 30 bucks a book, you know, that are bought there. Uh, The second way is there are quite a few folks who, like I got a call, I was speaking somewhere and they said, Hey, you don't have a book. Why don't we bring you in to Napa Valley four days? uh, We'll talk with four different people with four people will come in and interview you for those four days. And at night we'll drink and eat Napa Valley. How fun is that? And then we'll guarantee you that we'll get you on a bestseller list. I'm thinking how the heck's that much? How much does that cost? He said $45,000. I said, really? I said, yeah. So what they do is they write it, they put everything together, and then they buy a whole bunch of books at the right time that get you the blip. So you can say you were the best seller in that. Now, Amazon, you can do all of that same way. What I did was I found a, a an editor and an, and an organizer, graphics person, and then somebody who would get it on Amazon and also do Audible and Kindle. So I've got both books on all of those. And it still is probably... Uh, 20 to $30,000 when it's all said and done. Uh, but for me, it was turnkey, and I could put everything together. And now you can get it on Amazon, both of them, you can get it, you know, on all the others. So um, that helps. But again, you've got to have your speaking business rolling pretty well, I make more money on speeches than I'll ever make on book sales, for sure. And with Amazon, if you want that blip, there are some companies that will again, take part of your money and buy a whole bunch of Amazon books because they have so many subcategories. So you can say bestseller on Amazon. If you have that category, I don't care whether I say I'm a bestseller or not. I just wanted one with the background.
0: Yeah. I I've been learning and studying those processes and I don't like it. Like I don't like it's the best marketer, but then also as a marketer, I can appreciate that. But it's almost too much of a game, you know. The giving them it away is. for free plus shipping. There's 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 a lot of ways to go. And uh, the for- nice thing
1: about Amazon that I found, just as an aside, is that uh, Amazon, I don't have to buy a garage full of books. When I got my book done, I uploaded it, and they have author copies. You sell them for you know your soft covers for seventeen to nineteen dollars, but the author can buy it for two or three dollars and they'll print two they'll print a hundred they'll print a thousand they've got the the, they've customized so well that the books when you put it in their format uh, if i order it today tonight the printer will go and it'll print my book then it'll print yours and it'll print this one just one off if you want because they're all the same formats they're printing different ink and different colors but it's amazing what they can do today with amazon so that's the most flexible and the easiest one and you don't have a books rotting in the, in the, and if something else changes, you want to add something to it. You simply get on and change it and hit enter and it uploads it and it prints the new one there. So it's updated. So you don't have to sit with old outdated books.
0: I don't want to admit this, but I'm gonna, cause you just gave me so much gold right there. I thought, that it was only like ebooks that were sold on Amazon. I had no idea that they printed the real ones. So thank you for sharing that with me. That's yeah. like you can do hardcover,
1: you can do soft cover, you can do um and then they'll also handle if you can, you know. I I did an audio book because I do radio, so I just read my book, um, and and the others, but they're all formatted. So it is it is nice to have someone who's done it before, who's knows the formats and all that formatting to have them help and or hire them to do it because that'll, that'll help you a lot.
0: Wow. That's great to know. You are very eloquent by the way. So I get why you're on radio and, and speaking and I love it. I Isn't haven't it like any- anything.
1: If you're a marketer or once you do it for years and I've done speaking TV, I've done a lot of national TV most of my life. So, you know, local and national, so that makes it easy.
0: Well, you're very good at it. So I'm like tickled that you're here. Uh, you've mentioned money a lot. And I love that you're not afraid of talking about it and talking about people wanting to earn it, uh, traditional retirement versus not. So one of the things I see a lot, again, so I'm in a lot of online learning communities, right? So I'm seeing a, a lot of new people come up through the through their journeys. Um, and that fear of making money, fear of talking about money, fear of asking for their value. Can you kind of speak to that? Sure. Because it seems to be a common theme.
1: I was lucky enough to grow up in a, I would say most people today would say a poor house. Uh, you know, I'm a farm kid. House was 100 years old. Um, I had clothes, but I never knew that we were poor. Man, My parents were fun. We, we got along. We talked to everybody. There ain't anybody rich, poor uh, nationality, anything we wouldn't talk to, it, but I learned that from my parents. So when I went to work, I went to work for $500 a month. Um, uh, and that seemed like a million dollars to me. Cause I grew up on a farm and dad didn't pay me. He just needed my help as I did it. So as I started making money and they said, we can't pay you a lot more, but we can give you these stock option deals and cable television in the early days. Uh, I had no idea where, where it went. Well, ultimately when it hit, um, it's kind of weird because you can't really tell other people you're making money or you're doing well. Um, Because it's all, and I, I, over the years, have met so many people who are multimillionaires, billionaires, and every one of them are always thinking about, as they look around the corner, there's always somebody that's made more money than I have. So at some point you got to be happy. My dad said, you know, work hard for somebody. And then when you hit 62, you'll be happy because uh, you'll get your social security and you'll be happy. And, and I learned at age 40 when they cashed us out and I had all my goals met financially, I thought, you know, happiness doesn't happen at 62. Happiness happens on the way to success. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're having fun at what you're doing and you're making some money, uh, that is much more important. So every day, um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, I, I wish, the only thing I wish I had learned more of is once you make it, you always want to make more. I don't know what, what's up with that, but I wish I'd learned how to relax more to take my time. I'm always worried I'm going to run out of money. So I, you know, anytime I can make some more money, I, I seem to want to do that. So I'm, I'm hoping in retirement, I can do more of that, but no, I'm still, still out flopping to do it because once you succeed that feeling. It's like, I suppose it's like someone who has an addiction to anything. It's tough to give it up. And so I, I work really hard. I, I worked with, uh, um, I gotta think of his name. Uh, the, the black dude on uh, shark tank. Uh, oh, Damon Damon John. John. yeah, I did an event with him and we were talking and he said that every night he goes to bed with a piece of paper with, I think six items on it. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, what he's got to do tomorrow. That sounds good. He's organized but it was what he's going to do for himself because he's successful and everything he's done, he's doing it for someone else. Now everybody wants a piece of him. Everybody has the next idea. So he writes down at night and then looks at it again in the morning, of the things he's going to do for himself, whether that's, I'm going to go get a cheeseburger today. Cause I've always wanted this kind of cheese or something that fulfills himself personally. I thought that is so cool because I think we all try to try to succeed as others. Uh, The other thing I learned is once I had had money and I started my own companies is I took less risk. You know, most of us, if we don't have the money and we we are seeing people making it, we go hard, whole hog and trying to make it and make it big. And what I've begun doing is when I've made money, whether it's speeches or whatever I do, I take 10% and put that aside and I call that my play money. Now, I might use that to go on vacation, but most of the time I use it to do my next crazy idea. Um, and so I'm always looking for something new to invest in or something crazy to do, with the 10 percent, not the not the hundred percent. Where people who fail much uh, fail if they have their entire bankroll bankroll, they'll do that. And that that goes back to the lottery. If you're going to play the lottery, don't play with everything. Play with uh, the can, pop can money that you just got back when you hear the jackpots high, and just do it then. <clears throat> don't don't spend all your money in doing that because if you lose. You're going to say, "Oh my God, I lost! I can never do it again." That sort of thing. But if I lose my ten percent, big damn deal! I still got the ninety. I'll try something else. You know, I'm I'm ahead of the game, and that uh, that's kind of the philosophy I would have in in finances. But no, I don't know how how good you do, how much money you make. You're always going to find somebody with a bigger boat, bigger house, bigger something than what you've got. So to appreciate what you have, to understand happiness happens on the way to success, not when you make it. So that's why you want your goals high.
0: Yes. So it's my understanding through my recovery work and and paying attention that the people who do play the lottery are usually the brokest. They wealthy people protect their wealth or invest into assets or do something completely different. It's a different mindset. So that's why we're talking about that. Cause I get,
1: yeah, I think that, I think that, uh, I think that being an entrepreneur is, is somewhat like gambling. It's just that you'll have a better return. Um, I, I, people who, uh, who, who are gambling uh, too much, it's a tough one because lotteries are more the aspiration. What if I win the big jackpot? You're less likely to win that big jackpot than you do if you go to a slot machine and play a little at a time where casinos are more social that you go there because there's a lot of people around and you hear other people's success. So you, so you gotta get in on it somehow. But the bottom line is when I go gamble, I've learned to take X amount of dollars, whatever I can afford to lose. And I'm assuming I'm going to lose it walking in and I put it down. And when I lose it, I don't reach back in my pocket. So many people, I, I, I just, I was so close. And you know, the slot machines try to keep you close. I mean, that's part of the, that's part of the rhythm of what they have. So you want to uh, just play with a little bit, but like alcohol, those that have a gambling, problem, once they get started, it's really, really, really tough to stop.
0: Very true. You brought up one more thing. <laughs> Is it okay? Are we good on time from your perspective?
1: I'm okay. If you're okay.
0: Well, I'm going to be selfish. Is it, do I have permission to be selfish? Sure. Okay. Cause you talked about investment and so I have a big, a very big dream. So I'm asking this through the lens of what do I need to do to get the right kind of investments? So the long-term goal, and like you're this combination of all the things relative to my dream. The more I talk to you, the more I see that. So that's why I'm asking. Cause you know about all the different things, the long-term goal is I wanna be able to change the laws across the country to be consistent about what the gambling, the casinos, the lottery, whoever, um, put towards recovery for the gambling addict. So when I went to rehab, Kansas paid for me, but I had a friend that lived in Wisconsin and he had to pay out of pocket. Most of the time people are going and quitting because they're out of funds. So I wanna stabilize that. So I know I need power and money and influence, to get there because I'm not gonna start studying politics. So what my vision is, is to create what I call recovery playgrounds. So there'll be no alcohol, children or gambling, but it'll be a fun experiential environment with all different methods that help recovery or teach adults to play. So that's the huge vision. And it includes people in recovery working there and like all the stuff. So the closest I've been able to find is um, Vegas made a a thing that has no gambling in it. And it's like $700 million. And I've pitched in like social media rooms and I don't like, nobody wants a deck anymore. They want to hear it, fall in love with it. At least that's my perception. So what would you tell somebody like me that needs $700 million? Like, how do you even, what do I do?
1: You'd be amazed how much money is out there if you have the passion. Most people invest in the person, not, not the nonprofit. When I worked at the zoo, uh, the big donors looked at what I was doing, not what the zoo had as much of a capability and what the vision was. So I think putting your, your vision together of say, hey, especially, uh, you know, in the big first place it would be the casinos or the lotteries or the gambling institutions, all they don't, you know, I, I never, ever wanted to cause a problem for any family. So that's why you didn't want to overpromote and overpromise. So, they're looking for ways to keep the people who are problems out of the way because people who have problems uh, cause problems for them and in in, uh, in the publicity that would tell people don't gamble or laws that would go against gambling. So finding a way for them to do something different is, I think, a great idea. So, how to find the seven hundred million is probably the first place is. Once you get the idea and get it flushed out is to hit some of the, uh, institutions, the casinos in Vegas, um, that are looking for ways to put money in to show that they're trying to help to keep people from being addicted, um, and, and help flush it out that way. That would be where the backing would be. It would be my gut. And that's just, again, off the top of my head, um, once you find that and you make it fun, I mean, I first thought Chuck E. Cheese, but again, you got to put a dime in the slot. But somehow, you got to make money as you're doing it. Putting money aside by law, it, uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm a believer, in we should that something should be done. But not a believer in how it's usually done in the states, and that is that once you put money aside, they kind of wipe their hands and forget about it, right? And so. And once they put an X amount of dollars, that's what it usually is going to be for quite a while. And they've taken care of it and they've forgotten about it. So it doesn't show the benefit and the cost back and the money's back that need to sustain the institution. Once you build a building, you've got to have money to then run the darn thing. Um, And so finding ways to, to do that and then you know, but I think you got to start on a small scale and then have success. Once you've got success, then you can tout that success and, and export it. That's the old franchising method, of course. So those, those are some thoughts off the top of my head. I mean, I, it's like any other new idea. I, I, whether big or small, there's always a better way to do it. And just having X amount of dollars come in from uh, gambling treatment for, for, from the state is a start, but probably isn't isn't the long, sustainable one? Uh, I, I'll give you an example too. It isn't just revenue that people should think about when they're thinking about new ideas. I went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and I was in the in the bathroom in the hotel, and in that was a a box, and in that that box had a hole right through the center of it, and it was about you know two inches by three or four inches. I thought, what the heck is this? It said waste reducing exfoliating cleanser. <laughs> sitting on the back of the stool. And I'm thinking, what the hell is this? Then I started thinking, you know, those accountants got creative. They got innovative. I mean, you can be creative and have the idea, but unless you act on the idea, you'll never make any money or succeed. Their idea was you have a bar of soap when you go to a hotel and you go in the shower and you put it on, you only use about that much on the outside, right? So why not take out the middle because they're not going to use it anyway. And we'll put that on the sink. And now you're only buying one bar of soap per room rather than two bars of soap per room. That's innovative.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I I like that. I'm noticing more and more they're taking away the little shampoos and it it's now in this, you know, push yeah, that's thing. Right.
1: And that <laughs> seems like it's not as clean as if you do it, but I, I imagine it probably is. Yeah,
0: good. You point. know, when we were
1: at the zoo, you know, you you gotta look at things that are around you that you can do. Once you have a piece of success and you keep building on it. We didn't have when I started the zoo, we didn't have any money for uh uh to build a new exhibit. I kept that kept hearing. We need to raise two million dollars to get a new tiger or whatever. And I said, we don't have it. We gotta first get people through the door with what we got, make money, and then we'll take that money and we'll build that. So we started looking around. We thought, well, what do we have that uh that uh the zoos have every single day in big supply? Hmm. Animal poop. So we found this exhibit called scoop on poop and we, we, and it just went over huge. We had all these people coming in, paying the 10 bucks, admission (laughs) to see the difference between giraffe poop and elephant poop and all these different poops. And then we realized that in our state, we have white tailed deer and lots of them, and they're a menace. And so we figured out that tiger poop, even though a deer has never seen a tiger in our state. Um, that tiger poop actually repels deer from flowers. We started selling tiger poop for a gallon for 20 bucks. And we sold 20000 dollars with a tiger poop that summer. Well, needless to say, that helped us cash flow the whole zoo and, and with the very little expense of things we had close by. So looking for just a little better way to do something is a good way. And what your idea is, you know, has merit, has definite potential because there is a need. And uh, finding a way to take that to the next step is is absolutely uh, admirable.
0: Thank you. And thank you for the validation, Terry. Like, I quit my really good six-figure job because I knew I could never make millions at a six-figure job, right? You just can't do it. Um, yep. And I've said all along, the reason I'm doing entrepreneur is to prove that I can make a million or two million in a short period of time so investors do believe in me. So you gave me some validation because I've lost a little hope on that. Because it's not coming as quick as I want it to, um, but
1: and it will. But you'll be amazed once it does take off how much fun it is, and, and you just continue to build and again put a little aside so that you're not risking everything every single day because that's where the pressure comes in. My God, when COVID hit, those that were, were just skimping by and you know hadn't put money aside or putting it in for the rainy day. Um, there's a there's a course. Dave Ramsey who does a course. And his business model—he's done really, really well with it. It's a, he, he wrote a book, but he, and he did, was doing speeches. But his business model—he went into churches, and the churches uh, have newlywed classes three or four times a year. And for 110 bucks a person, uh, you bring the couple—a or couple—you bring them in, and you play his tapes, and he does it. And it's called the—I uh, um, can't even think what it's called. It's nine different sessions. But the point of the point of the matter was he figured out a way to get people in, but, but his point really, he answers the question. Should I lease? Should I buy so many things that I'd never really thought about, but I took all three of my kids, two of the three took it. And they have paid their house off by the time they're 35, uh, with some of his techniques by understanding that if I'm buying bottled water, rather than using it from the tap, that's costing me 500 bucks a year or a thousand bucks a year that I could put against my loan at 5%. So now I'm buying it down faster. So I've got the money, all those sort of techniques of things. Should I buy term insurance a uh, whole life, um, buy a new car, buy a used car, all of those lease, buy, all of those are things that he talks about. And I thought that was really good. But the big thing was, uh, if you have no money and you're absolutely in debt and your credit cards are maxed, is be sure you put $1,000, pay yourself first, credit cards, they'll work with you, they'll put it longer term, they'll refinance, they'll do whatever. But you got to have a $1,000, because if your tire blows out, and you don't have the money, you really are hosed, and you're going to go in depression and, and think suicide and all the bad things. Um, so make sure you've got money in the bank. And he usually says six months of operating capital, What it would cost you to do a month and get that money in the long term, have that in the bank. So if you hit COVID or whatever, and the same applies to business. Uh, if you have a small business that you want to be able to uh, make enough money to do that. And so when people are entrepreneurs, my suggestion is if you're making money and you're in a job, try to work that entrepreneurial job at night and weekends to have the money to continue. And then once you got enough money coming in from your new business, then say, see you boss. I'm doing my own thing.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Is there anything that you wanted to share with the audience that we didn't cover?
1: um i think the i had a question the other day which was an interesting one. what would you do if you were 21 again and i i said there are two things uh one is i think i told you i wish i could learn to relax but once i got into the success and fun i just want to keep doing it because it's back to what you mentioned in addiction the second is and there that's why people who are so stressed and all things are going that's why massages and that's how all those businesses came up so there might be with addiction the same kind of stimulus to back it down and 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 focus on something else that's more fun than than the gambling or whatever the second is uh, when you're starting out thing to do is to always raise your hand because if you go into a job you're working with somebody for somebody and the boss says hey toilets need to be cleaned and we'd lost our our person who cleans the toilets no one's going to raise their hands, but if you're the one to raise, you always be noticed when you volunteer and whether that's volunteering for nonprofits or whatever, that's a leadership because you learn every time you do something new and you're leading people and doing it. So those are my two recommendations.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's such a happy note too. That I hope sits with everybody because you're absolutely right. People. It's it's easier to not raise your hand for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here, Terry. It was. somehow it was an honor. Like, I'm really excited. I got so many nuggets and I know my audience did too.
1: Well, that's, what's fun. That's where we're doing it. So have a good one. Keep, uh, keep safe. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Sounds
0: good.